You're listening to the COVID-19 Update, a podcast from the CSIS Global Health Policy Center focused on the science and policy implications of the outbreak. I'm Andrew Schwartz of the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and I'm joined by my colleague, Steve Morrison, to discuss the latest on COVID-19. I'm joined today by two friends and colleagues, Heather Conley, Senior Vice President for Europe, Eurasia, and the Arctic at CSIS and Director of the Europe Program at CSIS. And we're joined by Judith Twigg, Professor of Political Science at Virginia Commonwealth University and a Senior Associate with the Russia and Eurasia Programs here at CSIS. Thanks, Heather and Judith for joining us on such short notice today. Great to be with you, Steve. Yeah, my pleasure, Steve. Thank you. We've had fast-breaking announcements from Russia today. I'll say a few quick words about that. And we wanted to pull people together and talk about what this all means. The announcement this week from Moscow was that they were in the process now of registering a vaccine, which is what's called an adenoviral vector vaccine drawn from a common cold that injects genetic material from the covid virus, and that is a technology that's being used by by other firms in other countries. In this case, what was most dramatic about the Russia announcement was that they are skipping, it appears, skipping phase three field trials, which is the normal process by which you determine safety and efficacy before looking for such a thing to be registered for emergency use authorization. They're plowing ahead and beginning to, first of all, administer this to health workers. They're planning to administer it to teachers. They've already had some administration to the military. They're beginning mass production in September, and they've announced they'll begin mass immunization campaign within Russia in October. And there is there was a very slick promotional site for this in seven languages that was distributed. There was an announcement on an external strategy that they're looking to provide this. They're in discussions with some 20 countries that have applied for or shown interest in securing dosages of this that could amount to a billion doses. They're talking about conducting trials. I'm not sure exactly what that means. In several countries, they're talking about production facilities in several countries. At the end of the day, what this means is that we have a product that may turn out to be very valuable, but it's unproven and it's moving forward. They're cutting corners disregarding the normal rules and raising a certain risk of substandard product that could be dangerous being be, being distributed on a mass level to populations. There are strong external and strong internal motives at play here. I might add also, this comes against the backdrop of al- allegations by the US, the UK and Canada that a unit within the Russian military, APT-29, has been hacking laboratory sites in those three countries, Canada, UK, US, that are involved in putting together and advancing COVID-19 vaccines. So let's let's start. That's just by all all by way of drama and background on why we're here today. I'd like to turn first to Judy to talk about, put this in context of Putin's own at-home motivations. Uh, what is it that's driving him? What is what is what is he seeking to accomplish with respect to his own domestic constituency and what state assets is he bringing to the table and what form of resistance might he encounter internally? Judith. Thanks, Steve. That was a great summation of what's happened so far. 
I'd add to that that this dramatic announcement that Putin made on Tuesday, August 11th, about the registration of this vaccine with the Ministry of Health didn't exactly come as a surprise. They've been letting us know for weeks, actually a couple of months, that they've been working with an accelerated development timeline, cutting corners. It has been all over Russian state-controlled media for quite some time. It's very- Saturation media. Saturation media. And it's clear that much, if not most of the intended audience for this development is a domestic one. Putin desperately needs a big propaganda win at home. His public approval ratings have been tepid at best. Uh, He's not perceived as having managed the the COVID-19 pandemic within Russia, particularly forcefully, charismatically. Um, He seemed almost almost passive in in the way he's, uh, he's addressed things. His trust rating with the Russian public was at its lowest ever level in July, just last month, the last time it was measured. This was supposed to be a big spring 2020 for Putin. He was supposed to have his big Victory Day parade commemorating the 75th anniversary of the win over the Nazis in uh, in World War II. He was supposed to have his big constitutional referendum that would cement his ability to stay in power until the year 2036. And all of those things ended up being delayed. They happened eventually, but they were they kind of fizzled. They didn't produce the kind of big bang politically that he was looking for. So he's manufactured one with this claim that Russia is now first out of the gate with with a vaccine. Thank you. The economy's on its back, right? He can't deliver on those big promises. Exactly. And he also can't manufacture some kind of foreign intervention rally around the flag moment the way he did with Crimea and several other adventures. So he, he had to come up with something else. Thank you. Heather, can you add your own insights on what's going on internally and domestically, but also speak to the broader environment of, of the external motivations by Putin to take this on the road, which, you know, this campaign is is pretty elaborate. I mean, and, and I think, as Judy pointed out, it's been in preparation for months. And as it got rolled out this week, I think all of us were kind of gobsmacked a bit by the sophistication, the polish, the aggressiveness Uh, the multitudinous interests within Russia that have been brought to the table to make this all happen. So any further thoughts on the domestic context, but also how this is playing in Europe and elsewhere and the motivations on uh, in terms of geostrategic positioning? Yeah, Steve, I can only agree with with Judy. This is really born of of a domestic strategy. Vladimir Putin has had a terrible 2020. Every one of his plans have sort of just blown up and and the coronavirus has just accelerated all of his problems. So, I mean, right now, uh, over the last several weeks, he has faced some of the largest demonstrations in the Russian Far East in Habarovsk since the Soviet Union collapsed. He is now facing a situation on the other side of Russia in Belarus, where Belarusians are demanding free and fair elections. Uh, So he needs a domestic win here desperately as his periphery looks more and more troublesome to him. And again, it is not for accident that this is called Sputnik V. This is to bring back this historic greatness of when it was just the United States and the Soviet Union. And in that particular original race, 
the Russians won. So trying to evoke that and, and understanding that Russia does need to assert itself geopolitically because it's continued to be overshadowed by the U.S.-China dynamic. So it's sort of fighting for its own relevance. I have to say, as I was reading the commentary about how the Russians are, are skipping the phase three clinical trials, that you're reading uh, the medical specialists to, that say, look, this is not following the rules. This is not how we do this. What the, the memory that invoked was, in fact, Vladimir Putin's speech in 2014 at Sochi, the Valdai Discussion Club. What was the title of his speech? New World Order, New Rules or No Rules. So in some ways, this vaccine is about no rules. They're not going to follow the rules so they can create, again, that, that world order where Russia has a very, very prominent place here. But as you noted, economically, this doesn't solve a very difficult situation. Uh, and in fact, if I understand how they're funding this through their sovereign wealth fund, that rainy day fund that Russia is going to need in the future, because as energy prices are low, commodity prices are low, it's going to need that money. So that money was just used for this vaccine development, heaven help us. You know, I hope it works because we so desperately want, but what they've done can perhaps create such a backlash because if this does not work, heaven help Vladimir Putin because the domestic backlash will be great and then it will harm globally. People will not take a vaccine if they don't see it performing. So the stakes could not be higher, but he is trying to position, Vladimir Putin is trying to position Russia back at that Sputnik moment. And let's see if this great risk pays off. Well, that, you know, hearkening back to that 1957 Sputnik moment of demonstrating, you know, success and getting out in front on satellite telemetry and beating the United States, at least momentarily and all of that, and now invoking the sort of glory days of the science and biomedical innovations and particularly around virology in the Russian system, those sort of bragging rights carry you only so far, frankly, in this current moment in time. How have the Germans and the, and the French and the UK responded to all of this? And how has the WHO responded? Because when you think about the rules, if he's saying there's no rules, well, there are powerful interests within this globe that do play by the rules and are pretty insistent. And then it's not just governments, it's industry as well. And we had the Association of Clinical Trials Organizations in Moscow, which does include Novartis and AstraZeneca and Pfizer and Bayer, come out adamantly and categorically opposed to the actions that Putin is undertaking. And, and so there's, there's a pushback. There's a big pushback. What do you see? What do you see happening in Europe? French President Emmanuel Macron just spoke with uh, Vladimir Putin. It does not appear to be, you know, really focused on the vaccine question. It had to do with Lebanon providing aid, Belarus, which right now is occupying European Union mines. There'll be an emergency meeting on, on Friday to talk about uh, potential sanctions. So it does not seem that the EU leaders on this particular subject are necessarily focused uh, on that effort. But you're right. This gets back to this no rules, new rules. 
If we have rules, they're for everyone's safety and protection. We have to make sure, again, this is not just for Russia's domestic environment. We have to make sure that there's a positive response here, because if there is a negative issue, heaven help the people that are affected by this from their health. But the message this sends globally, people will be very afraid to use a vaccine when it actually is tested and it's gone through the rules. That's my concern, that this so far transcends the domestic benefit that Vladimir Putin may get uh, within the Russian domestic opinion. The global ramifications of the no rules part is really significant. Right. I mean, at, at home and abroad, this could wind up damaging people's lives. It could give them a false sense of security, and it could contribute to the worsening of the environment, the climate of vaccine hesitancy, right? It could push back that. Judith, what is the resistance that you're seeing in terms of within Russia, but also how does how does WHO cope with such a such a dissonant and difficult situation as the guardian of the rules? So This is tricky for WHO. Obviously, they're a technical organization, and in that capacity, they still have not listed any of the Russian vaccine candidates as anywhere beyond phase one trials. But WHO is also a political organization. It it has to be attentive to the political environment in which it operates. And as you and I have discussed before, Russia has become an increasingly important player in many of WHO's discussions around non-communicable disease, around tuberculosis, many other areas. Um, WHO has to be careful about, about what it says and what it does when Russia behaves the way it's behaving right now. Globally, this is a high-risk, short-term gamble for Putin, right? He's playing the vaccine nationalism game, I think, here. When he puts this in the context of the United States and Operation Warp Speed, clearly planning to buy up as many stocks of effective safe vaccines as it can, hoard them for its own populations. We're hearing a little bit of that kind of of conversation coming out of UK and some of the European countries as well. We don't know what China will do once some of these Chinese candidates become viable. I'm very interested to see how the Russian offers of licensing and distribution play out over the next couple of weeks. If they actually can come up with a vaccine that turns out to be safe and effective and offer it on preferential terms to the rest of the world, then this gamble will turn out to have paid off in a big way. This will be a big win in terms of global politics, especially in contrast to Trump in the United States. So it could be that it backfires and it's a catastrophe and it leaves Russia looking pretty lame and pretty pretty short-sighted and, and damages further damages the reputation. But it could be a win. It could That's be what a I hear win. you saying. Yeah. And again, it depends on how the Russian offers for licensing and distribution play out. And it also depends on the timing of the development and release of other vaccine candidates from other countries. Right. Six months, 12 months, two years from now, is anybody going to care who's first when there are multiple vaccines available through many different arrangements around the world? Um, You know, there's a lot of the story that hasn't been written yet. Yeah. I mean, to get back to Heather's point, if they're trying to change the rules and they're they're saying, look, the standard form of scientific trials, the transparency, the disclosure of data, they haven't disclosed anything from the 76 people that they put through phase one and phase two trials. It's all anecdotal. If they're saying we don't have to do that, we don't have to disclose, and then they go off 
and we start having adverse events. And people are coerced. Teachers are coerced and told, look, you're going to lose your job if you don't take this. You're a health provider on the on the public sector dole. If you don't take that, you're, you're, you don't come back to work. And you can imagine, of course, with military, it's, it's, they've, they've already inoculated a number of military folks. And it's pretty clear that's not going to be very voluntary. So let's say they get adverse impacts. It's not like they're going to be tracking and disclosing this in any systematic way, but I do think it's going to be very difficult to cover up adverse impacts. What do you think, Heather? Well, I think this is the risk domestically. Uh, you've already seen there has been significant backlash towards towards the Russian government over how it's handled the pandemic. Cases are still soaring. You have also this underlying public restlessness. I guess that's the best way to describe it. It's it's really leaderless. It's anger without direction in in many ways. It's anger at the the government for you know the pension reforms and and lack of social social uh, safety net. And so you add on top of that brittleness, heaven forbid, and this is, you know, let me be clear, nothing I wish that they start having adverse impacts, forcing, as you said, forcing these vaccinations. They're not transparent with how that, you know, that could electrify a domestic opposition that, you know, it's it's very scattered and fragmented. This could really be that moment of, of trigger. So they have to be very, very cautious uh, with this. We know that even in the in the demonstrations that we're seeing in the Russian Far East, this isn't they're not listening to state television and radio anymore. This is social media. They are sharing this. This is very, very powerful. So it could, I mean, again, this is the this would be the, the irony and the paradox. An effort that was di- designed to quell domestic unrest to make it forget about everything. And, you know, here we are, that Sputnik moment. This is our greatness. We're the first and we're going to help you through this could potentially turn into something that could catalyze a domestic opposition and continued resentment of this regime. Of course, resentment of an approach, a kleptocratic authoritarianism that's being now rejected all around the periphery of Russia. And just to play off that, Heather, it's through social media channels already that we're learning about some of the people who are getting letters from the government telling them that their job may depend on their willingness to take this untested experimental vaccine. And if you look at some of the public opinion polling that's been done over the last couple of weeks and couple months, close to majorities of the Russian people say they don't believe the information that the government is feeding them about the pandemic to begin with. And large percentages say they will not take this vaccine right off the bat. They'll either wait for an international alternative or they'll wait six or 12 months until the Russian vaccine is more tried and true, more tested. So this doesn't sound like a population already that's willing to be guinea pigs for for some not well thought out trial process. In terms of the international rules of the game with scientific discovery, they're not saying overtly we refuse to play by the rules or we're trying to change the rules of the game. They're actually saying, oh, yes, we are in the process of getting ready to publish our trial data with a highly respected international journal. No more information than that. So, you know, even in the medical field, Russia has a fairly recent history of wishful thinking type pronouncements that something is coming down the pike that ends up not to materialize. 
for about a decade, they said they were on the verge of an AIDS vaccine, which obviously has never happened. So there's a pattern of behavior here with premature announcements of Russia being first in line at some major new discovery. But we could see them under pressure doing trials with, I mean, they announced they were going to try and do trials with about 2,000 people, far less than, far, far, far fewer people than the 30,000 that are the norm per vaccine candidate here in the United States. Then the question will be before WHO and others is like, what's enough, right? If they come up with something that doesn't look particularly credible, but nonetheless, they're sort of making pretenses to, to all of this, they, they could wind up somehow bending the rules and getting by while still pretending to stay within the rules. Or maybe they come forward with something that looks more credible. I don't know. I mean, one question I want to get back to in, in closing here, we don't know whether this is going to permanently sort of trans, begin to degrade and transform international norms. Certainly, that's on the table as a possibility. We also don't know how this is going to impact the calculations of the two other grand partners in this scramble, which is the U.S. and China. It was very interesting that the, the day of the announcement this week, President Trump, in his late afternoon press briefing, announces that $1.5 billion added on top of the billion to the Moderna messenger DNA, messenger RNA vaccine for procurement and distribution of purchase of 100 million doses at a very affordable price. And, you know, the, the prompting was the sort of, well, this is our answer to this news, i.e. our Moderna thing is moving along very quickly and we're putting the dollars down and we're playing by the rules and we're going to have 100 million doses come forward pretty quickly. Do you think that what Putin is doing is going to is going to pull the United States or China in the direction of shaving a little bit off the rules and a little bit off here and there? We had the hydroxychloroquine scandal from mid-March with FDA leaned on by the White House in succumbing and then recovering in June by removing the emergency use authorization. A lot of fear that there will be pressure for premature use of emergency use authorization as the field data comes forward on our, we have six candidates going into human field trials right now. What do you think? What do you think, Judith? Are we at risk? It's very clear that Trump's campaign team would love nothing more than an October surprise here, right? Everything we've heard from the outside looking in has been that the, the scientific establishment has, has held the line on this in the United States so far. I think you're right that it's unclear how this Russian announcement changes that conversation. Heather, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I want to put this and sort of frame this in this great power competition, which is the framework for our national security strategy, our national defense strategy. The difference between these three great powers, China and Russia, their lack of transparency, their state mandate of what the result will be. That is a demonstration what the U.S. and our, our Democratic allies need to show is the exact opposite, that it is transparency, that we're being collaborative, we're following the rules, and to demonstrate the difference. This week, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is in Central Europe visiting and talking about China and their authoritarianism and their lack of transparency. The best thing the U.S. can do and must do and has forgotten to do in many ways is to lead by example of our transparency and our rules-based system. That is what differentiates us. 
That is where our power is. Not that who gets there first, but who gets there with safety and efficacy. And I guarantee you, the amount of Russian disinformation and coercion that will, will be pumped into the U.S. and Europe for the anti-vaccine movement. So they are going to help the anti-vaccine movement grow as they're trying to do this. So this is a great power competition. I loved Judy's sort of that vaccine nationalism. The way we break this cycle is to go back to first principles of our democracy, transparency, and accountability. And that's what we have to demonstrate. That's how we differentiate ourselves. So Heather, I mean, you, what you're suggesting here is that the, the hacking that was happening against the US, Canadians and UK labs, it may, you know, obviously this was trying to get inside, see what's going on, steal it if possibly. But also it could be used in a campaign, in a smear campaign, in, in, to, in a disinformation campaign to try and build public distrust and skepticism about superior products. Absolutely. Right? This, what they do and, and what the hacking could be is there's going to be a blend of, of real emails that perhaps express concerns or doubt, that transparency, that scientific rigor of review. Exactly. And then there could be an assertion of absolutely fake documents that continue to say, don't do this. You shouldn't get tested. This is what I mean. This is the great power paradigm that we are talking about. And every citizen needs to be armed with knowledge, transparency, good facts, so that they can counter that information. So Thank you. that's that's Thank what's you. important. One one just one closing point, and then I think we should we should adjourn. It's been interesting this week that Dr. Anthony Fauci has spoken repeatedly, almost every day, has said very categorically, very adamantly. This, if they if they proceed on this way, this is unacceptable, and that's a pretty stark signal. And by comparison with some of the other areas where he's taken a strong position and found himself contradicted a few minutes later by others in the administration, from a more political standpoint, I've seen no signals come forward that say ignore what Dr. Fauci said because there's something else that we we think about. Have you seen any counter signals? It's it's been very notable, right? We did have, I mentioned, the president's announcement around Moderna, which was an interesting countershot to what Putin was doing. Judith, did you have you seen any evidence of any equivocation within the administration on this? No, none at all within the American administration. An interesting um, counterpart voice, though, in Russia. I mean, Russia doesn't have a, an equivalent of Dr. Fauci, but the head of the Russian Ministry of Health's Ethics Council resigned a couple of days ago. And... He hasn't made a statement that directly connects his resignation to this announcement of premature registration of the vaccine, but he has been a vocal critic within Russia, within the Russian medical establishment of the accelerated development and the skipping over of standard steps in, in the clinical trials. So it seems likely, the timing is unmistakable. It seems as though there is at least one prominent Russian establishment voice that is trying to sound the alarm bells here. Thank you. Heather, one last word from you? Nope, you're great. I think you covered the landscape. Thanks, Steve. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you both for taking time out of your day to be with us on short notice to talk about this. So everybody stay tuned. I'm sure we'll be back to this topic soon enough. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Heather. Thanks, Steve.